It's amazing to me how many people desire to grow in their walk with God, regardless of where they are in the journey. So they ask for more faith. Many people pray for it. Other people say, if I come to church, maybe I'll just serendipitously get it. However, the scripture is very clear about how we get more faith. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God as Romans chapter 10 verse 17 reminds us. So our prayer for you as you hear this message is that your faith would go from where it is to where God intends it to be. Grow as you hear this word. that they would sing this song because I came to do war today. Let me explain what I mean. The Bible says that the devil comes to do three things. He comes to steal. He comes to kill. And he comes to destroy. But the word of God says that Jesus came And he came to do more than the devil could ever try to do. He came that you would have life and have it to the full. And so as we enter into this subject matter today, I just want us to know that God is a chain breaker. And I don't don't know what chain the devil has tried to place on you. Listen, I don't know what chain life. Sometimes we blame the devil for everything, but sometimes it's life. I don't know what chains that you have walked in here with. I don't know what chains those of you that are watching have been shackled with, but I know that he is a chain breaker. He's a way maker. And as this song is being sung, I want you to make a declaration to your own soul that no matter what the enemy is trying to do, Jesus has more authority and has more power and has more anointing in his pinky finger. To do exceeding and abundantly above all that you can ask or imagine. So those of us that believe in the power of prayer, let's let this song be both a declaration but also a prayer. That today in this place, internet wise, that the spirit of the Lord would break chains and set some people free. Does anybody believe that God is able to do that? Has it, Listen, has anybody ever been set free? Let me do that. Has anybody ever been bound or... The enemy had a hold of you, but the Lord came some way and broke the chain and broke the fetter. Then let the redeemed of the Lord say so as we make this declaration to him. Hallelujah. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. I know y'all know the song. Come on, sing it with me. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power. There is power in the name of Jesus. There's power in His name. There is power oh. in the name of Jesus. To break every chain. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah, God. We thank you that you, you are a chain breaker. You are a deliverer. You are the only all-powerful God. And that there's nothing that you cannot do. Father, I know that those who are listening right now may feel so overwhelmed. They may feel so discouraged. The enemy may have blinded them in such a way that they have lost sight that you are a chain breaker. They may have lost the will to even reach out to you because they've reached out to you so many times before. So God, we're going to be like the friends of the invalid who could not speak for himself, but their friends, his friends, knew that you were in town and they said, you know what, we're going to bring our friend to Jesus. We'll tear up the roof if we have to and lower him down so that Jesus can get to him. So God, we lift our prayers up for our brothers and sisters that are in this space. For those that are watching online, we lift them up to you. We may not know them by name, but Holy Ghost, we know you know them. They may not know how to pray, but we pray for them. They may not know how to reach out to you, but we reach out to you for them. And we pray in the name of Jesus that today, God, you would set someone free. That you would deliver, God. That you would heal. That you would restore as only you can. And God, we, we reach our faith out to you to believe you to do the impossible. And God, we trust you today to let your kingdom come and your will be established in our lives. That this world might know, God, that you still live. And it's in the name of the chain breaker. It's in the name of the way maker. It's in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray and we praise. And all that agree with that said, amen and amen. Come on, give God a real praise. Make it, make it the best one you can give to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I'm so excited uh, this Sunday to All right, there we go. And I'm so grateful for our worship team. Can we give God praise for those who lead us in worship? Really, you all, let me just say, um, I, don't, I don't think we know how much warfare spiritually it takes to prepare the hearts of the people of God. You know how much stuff you walk in here with, you know, and when you're able to have all of that stuff be put to the side because the worship has led you into a space we're so for them. Uh, I think my microphone's acting a little funny, so I need to get another mic. Oh, yeah, maybe. There we go. Uh, let me begin by saying to you all that this series of messages Two, has two purposes, two, two purposes. Uh, well, the church really has two purposes. We have many, many purposes, but there are two primary purposes for the church. One of them, you all, is to build disciples or to make disciples, all right? That, that means that we are to grow in the knowledge of the word. The Bible says that pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets, all of those gifts that he places in the church are there to equip you Listen, to equip you to do the work of service to him. Uh, and, and that's an important thing to know because some people don't know that that's the purpose of church. Uh, they come to watch. They come to maybe listen. They, they come to maybe be entertained. But the real purpose is that when you come, you are equipped. You're given the tools. You're given the, the understanding. You're given the wherewithal so that you can do uh, what you can do to serve the kingdom. 
But the other huge uh, initiative or calling for the church is to be evangelistic. That means to go into all the world and proclaim that Jesus lived, he died, he rose again, and he's coming back again. And letting people know that they can come into a saving relationship with him. So the church has two purposes. To do, to do discipleship or to help the spirit of God build disciples. But also to equip us so that we can become evangelistic and help people that are far from God get closer to him. So this series of messages for the remainder of the year is falling in both categories. It is helping us, the church, to learn how to understand the people that he's called us to reach. Uh, if Paul, and we'll talk about this next year, but if Paul said, I became all things to all men so that I can by any means win them, you can't become all things to people when you don't know who those people are. Let me say that again. You cannot win people that you don't like. You cannot win people that you don't want to talk to. You cannot win people that you don't understand. Let me tell you something. Uh, I'm so grateful for the Myers that are here from Mozambique. They are members of our church. They're missionaries. So grateful, so grateful for them. And, and let me just say, when you go to Africa and you go to Mozambique and other countries and they have other languages, no matter how much you love them and want to see them saved, you better learn their language if you want to reach them. You better learn their culture if you want to reach them. You just can't come from America and say, look, this is how we do it in the United States, so y'all just got... No, 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 no. If you care enough about them to win their ear and win their respect and win their attention, you've got to learn them, right? And so you all, this past month, we've been talking about uh, the family and the things that happen in our families. We talked about uh, individuals who have been divorced and the challenge of divorce and how does the church, listen, we're not going to talk about what the Bible says about it because this church has spent 18 years teaching you what the Word of God says about marriage, what the Word of God says about being celibate, what the Word of God says about being single, what the Word of God says about being married. We've done all those things. What we have not done is figured out when a person gets divorced, how do we treat them? When a person is single and never gets married and has a child, how does the church respond to them? Uh, when someone has been battered and has been in abusive relationships, how does the church of Jesus Christ practically come around them to support them, all right? So you all, I pray that you all would hear these messages and don't feel as though we are condoning or celebrating or uh, doing anything that would lift the person's decisions up against the scripture. But what we are doing and what we get to get better at is learning how to love and care for and reach people who are far from God or who've been through some pain. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying to you? Amen. I'm saying that because the month of October has been the easiest month so far. Because next month, as we get, start dealing with those who've been involved in sexual sins, we're bringing the prostitutes in, and we're bringing the strippers in, and we're bringing the transgender and the LGBTQ people in. So, so if we don't get an understanding of how to treat the folk in the house right, 
When the folk who come that are not part of the house, you can't be looking sideways and acting funny. Are y'all hearing me? So let me give y'all a warning ahead of time. There are going to be some people that will visit our church that don't look like you, that don't worship like you, that don't act like you, and that don't serve the same Jesus that you serve. And the question will be, how will you treat them? Amen. So you all, I, as a pastor, I'm bound to teach us this. And I'm, I'm, I'm charged by God to help equip you, equip us to be the army of God rising up. We can see we can sing all them songs all day. But if we're not willing to be the army that breaks the chain by a relationship with somebody in chains, chains will never be broken. I'm not about singing no songs and don't have application to the song. Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right. So today, you all, I'm excited to share this particular theme and subject matter because it's one that's very close to my life and to my heart. So as I open up this uh, time, uh, I just want y'all to be gracious to me because I might start crying. I just I might do it. Um, so you all, I grew up in a single parent uh, home in Chicago and an amazing mom who raised me so well. I did a pretty good job. See, I'm pretty smart and extremely uh, handsome. And so she did an incredible job, incredible job, incredible job. Listen, if you don't like you, won't nobody else like you. So you better start saying, come on, don't look, don't act funny. You better, you better love you because if you don't, ain't nobody else going to do it. And so you all, I grew up uh, not knowing who my father was and I had father issues daddy issues. I had no idea who he was, didn't know. Uh, as a matter of fact, all of my classmates would make fun of me, talking about, I'm your daddy, you know, that kind of stuff. And even though it was funny to them, it was hurtful to me. And, and scars began to form. And so uh, fast forward, you all, I had uh, uh, a situation happened that my mother started uh, dating someone. And as she did, this person was a leader in the church. Uh, and um, ended up uh, becoming uh, in an abusive relationship with me. This, this man uh, abused me. And it wasn't one time or two times. It was over the course of more than a decade. And, um, and you cannot go through that kind of abuse and just be okay. But what the abused do is we start blaming ourselves. And we start saying it's something that I must be, must be doing or something that I've done wrong. And then the confusion of why my mom uh, would not hear my cries to her about, Mom, this is what's happening. And for her to say, don't lie, that's not happening. And I realized that I had no safe place with the only person in my life that I felt that I had, which was my mom. And so, you all, I began to learn how to build a wall and learn how to build coping mechanisms so that I could keep my mental sanity in the midst of this continued abuse and this continued confusion. And, by the way, um, <laughs> this individual was the head of the deacon board of the church that I attended. So for me to go every Sunday and hear the prayers and hear the worship of the very person that was abusing me became a conflict in my head. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying to you? And so, um, so I began to have a very low view of myself. And I'm talking about so low that I hated myself. Didn't like myself, but I feel, felt like the only way I could even find some measure of relevance in life is if I go into academics and try to be as smart as I could. And so I would end up 
acing all the tests and trying to be as academically uh, profound as I could. And I ended up going on to, to some of the major universities and some of the major prep schools uh, in the Chicagoland area and did quite well, but became an adult broken. Became an adult broken. And let me just say this because some of you are wondering why am I sharing this story because some of you may not have been through the kind of issues that I've been through, but you have your junk. You've got some stuff that has happened to you. You've got some stuff that did not happen to you that has marked you and scarred you and created a view of yourself that is not the view that God has for you. And whether you know it or not, you'll find things to soothe the pain. Yeah, you will. Don't, you know what's so funny about church folk? Y'all so good. When we talk about stuff that's right on your alley, you act like it's not something you've ever, you're like, I love church folk. I mean, y'all should really see yourselves like, I wonder who could that be that's ever had anything that happened to them. And that, yeah, uh-huh, that's fine, that's fine. I get it. So, so here it is, you all. Uh, I became, so then this is the funny part. So then I'm in college and God saves me. I'm getting ready to commit suicide because, by the way, suicide was a regular rhythm of my life. Thoughts of suicide were regular rhythms of my life. It wasn't like I wanted to do I tried to commit suicide three times before becoming a Christian and twice after and one as a pastor. That many times. And so uh, God saves me at Northwestern as I'm getting ready to commit suicide. That is my salvation story. I'm standing on a bridge at Northwestern after a toga party, and I'm saying to God, God, I've got this beautiful girl on my arm at one of the greatest at Northwestern University. I've been guaranteed a job at this bank downtown Chicago making six figures. When I graduate, according to the world, I've checked every box of success. Why am I empty? Why am I not happy? Why is nothing filling up this space? I grew up in church, but did not have a relationship with God. That is why church, I don't care who y'all are looking and nodding, bobbleheading with me. Y'all can come here every week, but some of you all may not have a relationship with God. You may have a relationship with church. You may have a relationship with the preacher, but you may not have a relationship with God. And I grew up in the church and didn't have a relationship with Jesus. So I cried out to the God that I heard about. And I figured that if he's all-knowing, which I heard that he was, and he knows everything, he knew I was about to jump off this bridge into a ravine where the, the, the rocks made knife-like protrusions out of the wall. I didn't want to uh, have a, a, a suicidal attempt that didn't work. <laughs> I didn't want to wake up in a straitjacket. So I said, listen, if I jump head first, I'm going to die. But if you are who you say you are, you need to reveal yourself to me. And that night at about 1.30 in the morning on a Friday night, Jesus came into my life. On that bridge, you all, I don't know, I, I don't know uh, how your experience was, but I know this. The moment that he came into me, I was not the same. I went back to my dorm room. I had Prince. Prince was the, the, the thing back in the day, y'all, because he could say nasty stuff that I didn't feel comfortable saying. So I would just be like putting on the tape like, baby, this is what I'm thinking right here. That's what, you know, that's what I did. So anyway, Prince was all on the wall. Some of y'all don't know that. Forget it. All right. So I had pictures on the wall because I'm a college male student. I'm a, I'm a male guy in college. So I had all those pictures with the boobs and all the stuff on the wall, and I had mixed tapes, which y'all don't know nothing about now because y'all got you know, had mixtapes that were nasty and filthy and dirty. And I took everything I owned 
that did not honor God and threw it away. I did not need a deliverance sermon. I did not need a deliverance series. I knew that God had come in my life and I did not want anything in my life that did not honor him. I picked up my Bible for the first time. And, and some of y'all don't even do it except when y'all come here and I said turn to. So don't look at me sideways. Don't look at me like, I can't believe that. Well, you know, because of how you do. So I picked up my Bible for the first time and from cover to cover read the Bible. Took only bathroom breaks. Changed my life. I'm like, I got to tell somebody about this. I went to the student union building and got a room. And I said, I want to have this room to do a Bible study. And over the course of the next several days, about 100 or so students were coming every day to hear what I had learned about God. And then I said to God, God, I could do this all the time. And he said, you will. And that's when God called me to the ministry as a college student at Northwestern University. Got saved and got called. And Glenda and James, who are here, they remember me from my days at Northwestern. And they knew where I was when I was partying in the Plex. But God saved me and changed my life. And now, many years later, my college friends who saw me lost and acting wild at parties are now part of the church that I pastor. You can't tell me that God ain't real. <laughs> Fast forward. So now God calls me to pastor, but I'm still struggling with these issues of not being good enough and something's wrong with me. Because you cannot go through trauma cannot go through trauma and self-diagnose or self-heal. Let me just talk to somebody because some of y'all have been trying to self-diagnose and self-heal and you're getting worse. Hear me. In the black church in particular, you don't go see nobody about that. You take it to Jesus and you leave it there. Come on now. You better take it to the altar, right? So boy, did I take it to the altar. As a matter of fact, y'all, I'll never forget T.D. Jakes was in Atlanta. I flew to Atlanta, Georgia, because he was having a prayer meeting to have Bishop T.D. Jakes lay hands and anoint me so that I could be set free of my mind being crazy. I waited in line for hours. Bishop Jakes prayed the prayer. I felt the anointing of God, and I still didn't change, even with the bishop. Let me tell you why. Because some of you all are coming here on Sundays to get another fix to soothe your issues and never really get set free. And that's why churches shout themselves into a frenzy to deal with stuff that has not been dealt with. And I'm not going to be that kind of church nor that kind of pastor where we're shouting and we're shouting our way into mental institutions and shouting our way into hurting people and shouting our way into lifestyles that are dangerous. We are going to be set free by the power of God and by the things he's put in the earth to help you. So fast forward. So I'm pastoring you broken. Starting a church broken. And let me speak to everybody that is not doing what God said for you to do because you're waiting for stuff to get right. You can't 
wait for stuff to get right to do what he says. You got to do what he says so that stuff can get right. You better hear what I'm saying. There's no need for the anointing on you when you're not in a position that requires it. The anointing destroys the yoke, but unless you're in a situation that requires and puts a demand on the anointing, you will never have it. So some of y'all are running from your calling, and your calling is the very vehicle that God will break the stuff off of you. He calls the broken. <laughs> he calls the broken, doesn't he? Come here, David. He calls the broken. He calls the broken. Come here, Moses. He calls the broken. Are you here? He come here, Peter. He calls the broken. Come here, Rahab. He calls. Oh, he called me. Listen, I may not know a lot of stuff, but I know he called me. You better hear me. I know that. Does anybody in here know that God saved you? You may not know a lot of other stuff, but you know, listen, I may not know that. But I know one thing. God saved me. He touched me long time. Oh, I feel the, <laughs> I wasn't intending to do this today, but God told me to do it. He said, tell your testimony. Uh-huh. Because pastors don't act like they've been through nothing. Pastors don't act like they've been with the people. The shepherd needs to smell like sheep. And when the sheep can't smell, the sheep smell on the shepherd. They have a hard time following a shepherd that don't smell like the sheep. I need to know somebody that can identify with what I'm going through. I know what it's like to show up at church crying. For one whole, when we were over at St. Uh, Matthew's, y'all remember me telling y'all for a year on my way to church, I would park. I would park up the street because I, I didn't feel worthy every Sunday to come to church. I had to just say, God, would you give me strength so I can just drive to church every Sunday at the time that our church was having its greatest growth? I was in my darkest hour. And some of y'all are like that. Because sometimes when you come here, it's a press for somebody. Some of y'all don't feel good enough to be here. You don't feel worthy enough to be here. And you're pressing and pushing just to show up. And that was me, your pastor, pressing to show up. And so a few years ago, it got to be too much. And I realized that if something did not change, I wasn't going to make it. If something did not change, this is just a few years ago, y'all, about six years ago. If something did not change, I was not going to make it you would have been burying me that would have been it you would have been burying your pastor you would have been burying your pastor so I said I need to step away from this and I need to get some help and let me say this because hear me well now you don't have any kind of emo listen when you get when you when you know coronavirus is happening you may go through a little bit of something like trying to, mm, I don't know about, but you go get your shot. Because you're like, oh, oh, I'm seeing people die. I'm going to go get the help. I, and 
When you go to the shot place, it ain't no bit. Oh, I can't believe you here. You, oh, you come here to get a shot? When you are broken in your arm and you go get your cast on your arm, you don't go say, I I'm so ashamed. I'm so ashamed because my arm broke. I, as a matter of fact, I don't even want you to see my arm, but uh, I'm so ashamed because uh, I'm so ashamed. When you walk into the hospital, is there like this feeling of shame when you go in and there's been an arm broken? No, ain't no shame. I'm coming to get my arm fixed. So why is there shame about your mind when your mind ain't fixed? The devil has confused us so much that even the insurance companies will not give you money to get the kind of mental health care that you need because they don't consider it an illness. And the church folk, especially, will live in perpetual denial about your mental health and the mental health of your child. The mental health of your child. And it doesn't, listen to me. When I say the word mental health, you say, oh, you say it's something wrong with my baby. No, I'm not. I'm saying that there's something broken that God has given in the earth to be fixed. But because there's a stigma associated with it, we don't even go through the protocols to get it dealt with. But the devil is a liar. We will be healed. Come on, somebody in here. You may be broken, but you're blessed. There may be, listen, I was broken, but I started seeing a therapist. And the therapist began to deal with my mind and began to retrain my mind and retrain my brain and allow the neurological pathways that had been so set about me being ugly and me being unworthy and me being deserving of death. I had to rewire that. So that I could once again feel valued and feel valuable to God. And, hallelujah, not need for the church to accept me to feel valuable. Hallelujah. <laughs> this ain't it for me no more. I don't need to be validated by applause or the church liking me or somebody giving me an engagement. The Lord loves me and I love me and that is a maturity. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, somebody body in here so so when I began my journey they they basically said developmentally I was eight years old emotionally married eight years old father eight years old pastor eight years old so watch this now some of you are requiring of me what an eight-year-old could not deliver to you <laughs> why won't he be that way why won't he be that way because I'm eight and some of y'all in here now now I'm about I'm about 15 or 16 I'm a teenager <laughs>
But let me just say this to you, church. I needed to be transparent because most of us don't talk about this. And for every person that's been abused, God's got you. For every person who wakes up in the morning looking at yourself and you can't stand what you're looking at, that was me. I did not like me. I hated me. You understand me? I hated me. And that creates people cutting. That creates people doing things. And that creates relationships where you allow people to hurt you because you don't feel valued enough or valuable enough to say that, no, you can't do that to me. It creates systems where people can take advantage of you. So I just stand before you today saying to God, be the glory for the things that he has done in my life. And I'm not perfect, but you've got a pastor that no longer hates himself. You've got a pastor that no longer feels that the whole world is unraveling every day. You've got a pastor that was able to preach my father. And I call him that because it's the only man I knew who abused me. I preached his funeral. <laughs> I preached his funeral and I love him. Uh-huh. I love him. You know why? Because when you realize that a person who hurt you could do that, something's wrong with them. So why would you who have gained uh, a knowledge in Christ and a maturity in Christ not be kind to the person who you know something is wrong with them? <laughs> so today, I'm excited to have an interview with a member of our church. And I'm so grateful that this month, we've not had to go outside of our church. We've not had to go outside of our faith community to have these conversations because we've had these people right in our church. And we thank God uh, for the members who stood up and were able to share. Come on, can we give God this month for the members who shared their lives? in front of us. And today, you all, I'm excited to bring a member to our, well, uh, someone to our pulpit that is such a blessing, Dr. Mary Bronner. Would you come, Dr. Mary? Hallelujah. What a blessing she is. And uh, we're going to talk about her testimony and hear what God has done in her life and uh, get a chance to lean into what God will do. Amen. Praise the Lord. Give God praise today. Hallelujah. Well, as I've said before, uh, this is an opportunity for the church to, to learn. And, uh, and I realize, and I know you're very eloquent, you, you, get all, you, you can do all this, but I also know the vulnerability that it is to, to open up and to share the things that you're getting ready to share. So can we pray for you? Let's pray together. God, we love you and we thank you for this time. <sighs> Thank you for this Sunday and for its subject matter. Mental health is a real challenge in our world. Emotional health is a real challenge in our world. Help us, Lord God, to not allow the stigma that the world has placed on this subject matter to keep the church from being a vehicle of true healing and deliverance. Help us, O oh God, to be able to lean into these challenges 
and know that you are the God of all flesh and you've given us the answers to every single problem. And so we give you glory and honor for Dr. Mary and for her courage and being able to tell us a little bit of her story today. Would you get the glory and honor is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're so grateful to have you with us and uh, just want to hear a little bit about your story as a Christian. Uh, what is your background? Did you grow up in the church? And, uh, and I'll just let you look, share a little bit of your testimony, then I'll lean into the question. So just share a little bit of, of why you're on this stage, but beginning with your journey with Christ and your journey as a child. Absolutely. Um, I grew up in a church. I've been in a church since I was five years old. Um, I was a member of a denomination called the United Holiness Church, and um, I was very involved. My mother was very involved. Um, let me back up. I come from a dual parent household. Um, my father was, you would probably say, was a workaholic. So I did not really see my father. My father worked most of the afternoon. So when I was at school and when I was in the bed, he would be um, coming home from work. And when he would be um, going to work, I was already at school. And that was pretty much my life up until I went to college. So um, that was it. So my mother was pretty much my rock. She was our church secretary. And not only was she the church secretary, she was our denomination district secretary. So um, not, being, not just being in church on Sunday, all day Sunday. <laughs> I also had to travel with her when she went to district meetings. So um, during summers, kids would usually go to summer camp and they would be hanging out with friends. And I was traveling to North Carolina or Ohio or wherever, sitting in business meetings with these elders and learning the ins and outs of our denomination. So by the time I was a teenager, my mom was like, well, you can take over, take in the minutes, on this district meeting, and I'm like, mm -mm, I don't want to. <laughs> but um, that was pretty much my, um, my shaping. I was baptized as a young child. I believe I was seven or eight years old. But um, like many people, I was going through the ritual of church. I knew church, I knew the scriptures, have um, a certificate to this day about how I learned how to recite the Old and the New Testament. Um, but I really didn't have a relationship with Christ. And my mother, before she passed away in 2003, she would always say to me, she would call me May, and that was, that's my nickname, and my best friend called me that too. She was like, you have to have a relationship for yourself. It's not what mama can do for you or daddy can do for you, what the preacher is, it's you. So I'm hearing this, but I didn't internalize it. You know, as a teenager and a young person in college, I'm like, okay, I hear you, but the cue's having a party, so. <laughs> so that is that. So um, in 2002, my sophomore year in college, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in 
African-American history class, and I got this feeling, and I'm like, something is wrong, but I don't know what it is. So I go about my day. Um, I worked a work-study job on campus. I attended Eastern Michigan University, um, and I'm telling my boss, I'm like, something is wrong, but not with me, but somebody I know. Not really knowing that it was the Holy Spirit letting me know that something was wrong. And they're like, that's impossible. That can't happen. It's just you. You're probably stressed about a test. And I'm like, I don't have any tests coming up. I don't know. So um, I work my shift. I go back to my dorm room, and I get a phone call from my aunt. And she said, I've been trying to contact you all day. It's about your mother. And I'm like, what about her? She had a massive stroke, and she's in the hospital. And I know you don't have a car, but you need to find a way home right now because your dad is not doing well. He can't handle it. And I'm like, Jesus, we all broke college students. I don't even, and back then in 2002, I didn't have a cell phone. So I'm like, I don't even have a pay card. That's what we had to do back in 2002. <laughs> so I'm like knocking on doors to my, um, my dorm mates who I thought had a car. And I'm like, well, do you even have a pay card where I could go downstairs and use the phone so I could call home? And they're like, no, nah, no. Nah. And I'm like, okay, let me see. Let me go in my little drawer to collect my coins. And I walked to the gas station and bought a card. And I went to the payphone. And I called my god sister, because that was the only number I knew by heart outside of my own. And I'm like, something happened to mama. I'm not really for sure. They said she had a stroke. I need to come home. She was like, I got you. Came, brought me home, and I see my father sitting in the middle of the floor, looking distraught. I have no idea how long he sat there. I didn't, I just asked him, I was like, where is mom? And he was just out of it. And I'm like, what hospital did she go to? And he wouldn't respond. And I'm like, Jesus, I don't know what to do right now, but I need to find my mama and I'll deal with my dad later. So I grabbed his car keys, cause like I said, I didn't have a car. And I'm like, we live on the east side of Detroit at the time. I'm like, what hospital can I go to? So I'm just thinking, so I drive to St. John's, it was on Mac and Ross, and I'm asking the people at the, at the reception desk in ER, I'm like, this is my mother's name, here is my ID, I am her daughter, where is she? They was like, oh, she was here, but she was transferred to such and such hospital. Okay, drive to such and such hospital, go through the same thing. They were like, yeah, she was here, but they transferred her over here. And I'm like, okay. So I get to the final hospital and a doctor came out and he said, we've been trying to get in contact with your father all day, but he's not answering. And since she has been here before, she put you as her next of kin. So we need you to make decisions now. 
sophomore year in college, 19, 20 years old, making these life or death decisions. And I'm like, I don't know. So they were like, they're going through what's going on. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, oh, are you pre-med? And I said, no, I'm a psychology major, so I understand a little bit about like the brain and how it works, so this is what you're telling me. So if it affected this side of her brain, this is what's happening with her body. And they were like, okay, you do understand. So they said she cannot speak, she doesn't know who she is, she doesn't recognize where she is, and she's out of it, so don't be alarmed when you see her. See her. never seen my mother like that and but when she saw me she just kept saying may she was like may 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 so the doctor was like she's speaking but why is she keep saying may and I'm like cuz that's my nickname fast forward I'm going back and forth to school so I would come home on the weekend, try to find somebody to bring me home, take me back on Sunday, and be in school, come back, be with her, tend to my dad, and try to go to church at the same time, and still have my work-study job, and still try to have a social life, and study. So it was like a lot. January of 2003, once again, I'm, I'm hearing this voice and feeling this, this feeling not really knowing then that it was the Holy Spirit. And it was like, you need to go home. And I'm like, I don't want to go home. At that time, I'm still trying to have a social life. I was going through a, um, a process. I was interested in becoming a member of a, a particular sorority. And um, I was like, no, this is inconvenient to me. <laughs> and it got louder and louder. And it was like, go home. And that day, I got up and left my class, went to the administration office, and was like, I would like to do a complete withdrawal. I have family issues that I cannot go to school right now. They gave me the complete withdrawal. I went to my work-study job, told my boss, I'm like, I don't know when I'll be back, but I can't be here. Came home, 48 hours later, my mother died. So my father, once again, was just completely out of it. And we, I, had to handle everything. Like, and you're an only child. And I'm an only child. So imagine having to plan a funeral, deal with insurances, deal with family members, um, just everything on my own and attend to my, father, my grieving father. So, which by the way, 18 years later, he is still grieving. So, um, not really processing everything that happened, I started to rebel. I was like, God don't love me because he took the one thing that kept me grounded. So, when I went back to college, I started drinking. I became hypersexualized, ended up in a very unfortunate situation where I, I trusted a man 
and he took advantage of me. And it wasn't until literally this year in therapy that I was able to even admit it. So, um, and I just went on through my life. So five years after her death, a really good friend of mine was murdered. Um, someone broke into his house, mistaken identity, shot him in his sleep. And I'm like, I can't deal with this either. So the only thing that I could think of, I was like, Lord, I need my mama. So I drove to the cemetery. And I'm like, I'm going to sit at her gravesite and I'm going to talk to her. And the one thing my mother made me promise when she was alive, she was like, don't buy me no tombstone. She was like, take that money and pay for college, buy a car, do what you want to do, but don't do that. She was like, mm -mm, because I'm not going to be there, baby. I'm going to be with the Lord. And I'm like, so I honored that. But when I was at the cemetery, um, I'm looking for her marker because I knew it. And I'm going through, and I couldn't find it. And I'm like, Jesus, I just need my mom. And I remember dropping to my knees. I don't know how long I was at the cemetery, but when I came to, my clothes were completely dirty. There were holes all over the, um, the graves. My fingernails are dirty. And then I'm realizing like, okay, I need help. I literally just tried to dig up a grave with my hands. And I see the, the groundskeeper and I'm looking at the time and I'm like, oh my goodness, the cemetery closed like a half an hour ago. And I said, I'm so sorry. He said, I tried to, but something wouldn't allow me to get to you. So I knew you needed that. And I'm like, okay, but when I came to the sun, it shined so bright on me. And I felt a cool breeze. And when I tell you, Pastor Carrie and congregation, I literally felt something just wipe my tears away. And it was like, get up, you're okay. And I'm like, okay, and that was my first time as an adult ex truly experiencing the Holy Spirit. So I'm like, okay, fast forwarding, 2015, I am now a full-time family caregiver to my father because he has had some health issues, um, hypertension, high cholesterol, not really taking care of himself, and now, boom, he's diagnosed with um, colorectal cancer. And they're like, we need to do this now. We need to operate now. And I'm like, okay. Decided to move him in with me. I gave up my career. I postponed going to grad school. And I'm like, okay. So while he has his surgery and he is now home recovering, I re-enroll into my doctoral program. But... I didn't truly realize the mental strain of being in a program at that academic level while dealing with my dad's stuff and not really dealing with my own, how it affected me. So fast forwarding, August, 20, August 2016, August 17th, 
I was just crying, and I'm like, God, please, I don't want to feel this way. I don't know what's wrong with me, and I know what to do because now, by now, I have a psychology degree. I have a master's degree. I'm a formal social worker. I can do this. I can treat myself. I don't need no therapist because, like I said, I have a degree. I know what to do, but I was still feeling that feeling of something isn't right. So I went into my dad's room and I grabbed his hair clippers and I went in the bathroom and I shaved my head completely bald. And I looked at myself in the mirror and that's when I realized I'm like, I need help. But also in that same moment, I was able to see myself thoroughly authentically me and I'm like it took me to shave my head and take my hair all off for me to see me for who I am so I started posting these posts and pictures on Facebook like journey to love me that was my hashtag <laughs> and people was like yeah girl look at you go queen yes and, <laughs> and but still deep inside I'm not dealing with my junk I'm using the external validation to try to heal what was going on with me and I'm like people like me I got 189 likes on this picture, so therefore, I'm likable. But it's like, but do I like me? Am I enough to me? So I'm like, okay, Jesus, let's try therapy one more time. But once again, I wasn't ready because I thought I knew more than them because I had the degrees. <laughs> so I'm like okay and I'm still serving in the church at this time I would think I was serving in hospitality at the time here and going on and on my father is in and out of the hospital fast forward to 2018 every single day I cried every day I would show up to church and still serve, but deep down inside, I was broken. I was so broken. And one day, it was for my annual physical exam at my doctor. And you know, the nurse comes in first before the actual doctor comes to see you. And I didn't know that they had started doing a mental health screening. So she started asking me these questions and she got to a question and she said, in the last 30 days, have you thought about attempted suicide or thought about or attempted causing harm to others? And I broke down and I cried and I cried and I'm like, yes, I don't wanna be here no more. I am tired, God doesn't love me but I don't wanna feel like this anymore either. So my primary care physician came in, asked me some more questions. She sent me to a specialist. I went through this evaluation, had to come back to the doctor and she was like, you know, we're, di we're diagnosing you with dysthymia. 
Dysthymia is a fancy word for a persistent depressive disorder. And basically what that is, is when you have a long-term chronic feelings of inadequacy, low self-esteem, and depression. And there's other symptoms that go along with it. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's me. So now we have a term for it. We know it. Let's fix it. I'm here for it. I'm ready now. So she said, we want to give you some medication. And, you know, you get it filled, start taking it immediately. You, it's going to take um, some time for your body to adjust to the medication. I'm like, okay, cool. I remember it. It was November 30th, 2018, because it was my cousin's um, birthday, and she was having a birthday celebration that night. And I'm like, I'm not gonna come because my doctor just gave me this new medication, not really even telling family and friends what's going on with me. I'm like, I don't know how I'm gonna react. So I'm gonna sit this one out, but I promise you, girl, it's gonna be me and you tomorrow. Take the medication. About 10 minutes later, I'm starting to feel funny. And I'm like, well, it's just my body adjusting to the medication. I go into my bathroom and I notice my face is broke out. I look at my hands, my hands are broke out. Look at my arms, just big whelps and hives. And I'm like, oh, I'm having an allergic reaction. Take myself to the ER, tell them what's happening. And they're like, looking at me like, we don't know why you broke out to this medication, but I literally had sores and scabs from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet. I broke out everywhere. So they give me more medication to try to heal what was going on. This medication made me peel. And I don't know if any of you have seen like a snake and how they shed their skin. That's literally what happened to me from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet. And it was the most painful experience I went through alone and you trying to hide because now people looking at you like, what's wrong with your skin? Right. So I'm like, whoa. Fast forward 2020. I'm still trying to manage my dysthymia on my own. And my line sister was like, you can't go like this. You really need to give therapy another try. And I'm like, okay. So I remember lying in my bed at night and I'm crying. I said, Lord, I want you to guide me. I want you to show me where I'm supposed to go. I said, my therapist, I would like her to be a woman. I would like her to also be African-American because I feel like she can relate to me more. But most importantly, I want her to be Christian. And I'm like, I don't know, one night, couldn't sleep, two o'clock in the morning, Googling, I don't know, I think I was Googling a Gucci bag. I don't know. <laughs> and it, the spirit was all like, go on psychology today. And I knew about this, this magazine and this resource, because like I said, I have degrees in psychology, and I was, and I'm currently am a member of the APA, American Psychological Association. And I Googled therapist near me in this, and this lady popped up. And I immediately 
sent her an email. Less than 24 hours later, she emails me back. And our very first session, I told her what was going on and everything, and she said, you are dealing with so much baggage. And she said, and for you to be so intelligent in this woman, you are not a woman. You're 20. Like you said, you're eight. She said, what happened to you when you were 20? I said, my mother died. And she's like, and this is where you're stunted. And this is where we're going to start our work. And I'm still in therapy today. I am very, you know, strict with my therapy every week. And... Through God, yes. prayer, and therapy, I'm no longer on my medication for mental health. However, I do not want anybody in the congregation or the ones that are listening online to misconstrue my words. I am not advocating for the non-adherence for medication. If you need it, please take it. This is my story. Amen. Wow, 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 wow. Well, come on, somebody. That's. Thank you. Thank you. And in the midst of all that, and I'm not going to have you lean into it because I want to get to these questions, but you became a doctor. I mean, you are a, a, a legitimate, you got your doctoral degree, so to God be the glory. Amen. Yes, yes. Um, through all of that, I was able this past summer to defend my dissertation, and I am officially Dr. Broner. Amen. So, so for the sake of time, I want to just really ask three questions, because I wanted you to have the full time to really give your testimony. But there are many people who are listening right now who are saying, that's nice and good, even what Pastor said and what she said, but um, I don't... I don't trust that. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't trust um, uh, being that vulnerable. I don't trust going to, you know, and it's not cheap. Um, and, and, you know, we deal with the fact of telling people to do these things, but then sometimes the resources to do them are not always there. Cause, so could you speak to how people who might have a huge wall up because of how much it costs or the stigma of it still? I, I was in that predicament. Yeah. I was like, hey, I don't have that much money. I'm a doctoral student, full-time family caregiver, entrepreneur. I don't have that money. The good thing about the pandemic is that there are so many resources. There are so many free resources. And specifically here in Michigan, they have made mental health um, resources free. All you have to do is just Google. And she's going to make sure that our website provides all the information and links that people can have. Absolutely. So if you're listening, you can go onto our website and access all of that information. Absolutely. So let me, let me ask you this question. So, you know... Dealing with shame, the shame that is associated with even talking the way you talk today, most African Americans, and I, I know we have a multicultural church and different people of different ethnicities, but there's a stigma particularly in the black community around the subject of mental health and the subject of therapy and all of those kinds of things. What would you say to African Americans who say, look, I'm just going to take it to Jesus and leave it there? I 
I am not saying that God can't do all things and heal all things. However, he put people in places to help you. So don't be so religious or don't be so holy where you miss your breakthrough because your breakthrough may be in that psychologist or that therapist or that counselor. Hallelujah. Listen, y'all, if y'all got glasses, you can go see a therapist. <laughs> if Jesus hasn't given you 2020 vision and you prayed to him, Lord, give me 2020 vision, and he ain't gave it to you, and you didn't feel some kind of way going to the optometrist, then don't feel some kind of way going to a psychiatrist or a psychologist that can work on your mind. They worked on your eyes, let them work on your mind. Uh, so lastly, um, what about the person who says, you know what, I've, I've, I'm in therapy, I've tried that, and I'm still not getting better. I'm still not getting better. I mean, what would you say to the person who's maybe, you know, like you said, you tried it, but you had to go. It's really work. And, and people don't realize Absolutely. that you've got to do the work. Absolutely. I would say to them, one, open yourself up to the process. Um, therapy it's not always fun, it's not glamorous, it's not glitter. You will have a mirror in front of you and it will reflect sometimes the most ugliest part of you and you have to be open to that and also embrace it because that's where growth is and that's where your breakthrough and your healing is. So just open yourself up because if you are truly ready to make that step and you're truly ready to break the chains and to be free from that, you have to be open. Last question. You know, we've been talking this entire month about what, in every person that we've come, we've asked this question uh, about what you would say to the church. The church um, has been given the task of being the hope of the world, right? But what would you say to the church of Jesus Christ in the way that we should handle people who struggle with mental health, emotional health, or really any, any developmental issue? I even think that churches, so we're getting ready to, uh, to do the designs for the, uh, the sanctuary next door, and uh, they were talking about how much money it would talk, cost to have um, higher level handicap accessibility. And we could do a cheaper version, which is like a little metal ramp or something else. And I'm like, let's just go to cheaper uh, version. Then uh, I broke my ankle and I had to be in a boot for a whole year. And all of a sudden I realized how uh, having accessibility was a real issue. And I revisited the plans and I said, I think we need to have an elevator, a little lift so that people in the choir can be able to get to it. And so what would you say to the church about the way in which we don't engage people that have developmental issues, people that have mental issues, emotional issues? What would you say to the church of Jesus Christ about what we could do better in serving those communities? One, we have to take away the stigma of um, mental health. It is okay. Everybody has their stuff, as you said. We are all people having a human experience. It may not be yours, and it may not look like yours, but we are all going through. So we have to be mindful of how we treat someone. My mother used to tell me, at any given moment, at any given day, 
you may be the only Bible that somebody reads. So we have to act and carry ourselves accordingly. And as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in the church, that's how we truly have to act. So we have to operate in love. And also, depression doesn't look the same. Mental health doesn't look the same. So somebody can be serving, somebody can be strong, and they can have their stuff and they are struggling. So reach out to somebody and just say, I love you. How can I be here for you today? Hallelujah. Can we give God praise for Dr. Brown on today? Wasn't this an awesome Sunday? Thank you so, so, so much, so much. Hallelujah. What a mighty God. Listen, you all, as we continue to go forward today, I want us to, 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 to pray because I know that there are people that are listening right now. This is where you are now and you're struggling and you're dealing with some things or maybe you have children or maybe you've got loved ones that are dealing with things. There's no shame in it. There's no stigma uh, when you're broken. Uh, but the God, God has called us to be agents of healing. So every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we love you. Thank you for this amazing woman whose the enemy's plan was to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But look at her now. Here she is, God, and doing what you've ordained and living in a way that would be honoring to you, God. And thank you for what you've done with her. But you're not a respecter of persons. She is exhibit A of what you can do for all of us. And so for the broken, God, thank you for being the healer. For the person, God, who's struggling with their self-worth, thank you for being the one that would elevate them to know that you love them and you see them as a child of God. And so now, God, I pray that you would bring deliverance and that you would bring healing and that you would bring courage to those that are listening now who struggle in any way with emotional baggage and emotional health issues and mental health challenges, depression of any kind. God, we pray, first of all, that Holy Spirit, you will wipe the tears away. Just as she said, as she was sitting in the grave and, and, and digging up graves, she felt the breeze wipe the tears away. God, you're able to do that right now for somebody. You're able to wipe the tear away. But also, God, you're able to lead them in the way they should go to get the help that they need. So, Holy Spirit, thank you for Celebrate Recovery that had its first meeting last night. The room was packed. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord God, for our church right in the heart of Detroit to have an opportunity that people that have their hangups and their issues be brought out and not be shamed, but that a place can be uh, present for healing and for deliverance and for help. So thank you for right here at this church, an opportunity for people to connect with that. But also, God, on our website those resources that are available and thank you that Michigan has become the state that says we realize uh, mental health and what uh, its challenges are and that things that were once impossible to do financially are now able to be done so God would you give courage to her give courage to him to do that others that are in other states and maybe other countries that are listening father we pray that you would open up their doors of resources that they would be able to find uh, the resources near them that would help them in their journey. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe you're here and you're listening and you say, you know what? I need Jesus. I heard these testimonies and I heard yours, Pastor, of how God sustained you. I heard 
Dr. Bronner's testimony of how the Lord sustained her. I need that Jesus in my life. And let me just say to you, you can be in church but not know Jesus. You can be listening right now and still not have given your life to him. So if you're listening now and that has not been what you've done, no judgment, no condemnation. But just as you are, would you come to him? The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. You can be saved from yourself, saved from the hand of the enemy. One of the great things about having heard what you just had a chance to experience is that your faith has gotten stronger. There's no way that you could have heard this message and your faith has not been increased. But where do we go? How do we move from faith to faith? The Bible is very clear that if you have not really made the greatest decision of your life, which is to become a Christian, you've really missed the great joy of the journey. So wherever you are, if you would like to have a personal relationship with Christ, do what the scripture says. Call upon the name of the Lord and you can be saved. Pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. I receive you now as my Savior and as my Lord. I'm trusting you and only you to direct my life in Jesus' name. Congratulations, wherever you are, that means that you have become a believer. For those of you that are already believers, your faith is now stronger. Don't be merely a hearer, but be a doer, and let's change the world. If you just prayed that prayer, you have an opportunity to reach out to us, and we would be honored to serve you and help you in your journey. Uh, please contact us at area code 313-871-FORT, or please visit us on our website, Citadel of Faith. Dot org. That's simply spelled C-I-T-A-D-E-L of faith dot org. All one word. We would love to hear your testimonies. We would love to hear your prayer requests. Know that you're in a partnership with us and you're not in the journey alone. Let's change the world together one person at a time.